0: worship team. Good morning again, everyone, and good morning to everyone online. It is really great that you're with us. I trust that your worship time was great, and that the word we a blessing to you as well. I was just saying to the worship team, at the eight o'clock. I really love this song. I've never heard it before, but there's something beautiful about a song that just speaks about the name of Jesus. Jesus on the mountaintops, Jesus in the valleys, Jesus in our homes, Jesus in the darkness. There's just something amazing when you bring one's attention back to Jesus. I think that's what it's all about, and that's why I'm really excited about the series that we're starting this morning. It's called Seeing Jesus, and we're going to be journeying through the book of John for a good few weeks, and um, there's a very specific reason for that. John's gospel is a little bit different to the other gospels. The other gospels are referred to as synoptic gospels. They can be read together, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and they tell similar stories. They're very much a narrative. They're a biography of the life of Jesus, or at least some of it. John deviates from that a little bit. Although it's a gospel, John's letter, John's book, is a little bit more theological. It's a little bit more like um, the gospel version of Paul's letter to the Romans. It's full of symbolism and imagery, and it's really rich and deep and isn't necessarily a biography. And the whole point of John writing his gospel to the church and to people who were going to read it was to cause them to focus on Jesus and be wowed at who Jesus is. That's why he writes it, to to focus on Jesus. And that's why the series is called Seeing Jesus. And our tagline is to know him, to believe in him, and to have life in him. And we get that straight out of the book of John, right at the end of John, chapter 20, verse 30 to 31. John gives us the reason for why he writes what he writes. He says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these or written. What he has written is written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's John's reason for writing. And so he wants you to see Jesus because he knows that by seeing Jesus, there's a chance that you come to believe in him. And when you believe in him, you have life in him. To know, to believe, to have life is the whole point of the book of John. And so that's why we've got that as a tagline. That's why the series is so exciting. But I want to say as a preface right up front to this series, some of you may be going, oh, it's the Gospels again. We know this. I've read the book of John. Right? And there's this this very bad habits sometimes the church gets into of thinking that they know all that they can know from Scripture because they've read it before. Simply because you're saved, it's not going to mean anything for you. That somehow it's going to be boring. I want to challenge you to open your heart to what the Spirit is going to do and allow the Spirit to reveal more of Jesus to you so that you do as John intends at the end of this message, at the end of the series, as you journey through John, maybe at home, you fall on your feet and go, Jesus, my Lord and my God. Like I'm in awe of you. Allow the Spirit to do something new in your life. I promise you, as we allow Jesus to enter and to teach us more about himself through the Spirit, our faith will grow. Your faith will be deepened. You will learn more wonderful things about Jesus than you ever thought you could know, and you will keep on learning, and we will get to see our King the way John intended us to, if we just allow yourself to go on that journey. And Jesus doesn't want us, to, John in writing this, doesn't want us to just gain an intellectual knowledge of Jesus. It's not about intellectual or mental assent. It's not just about gaining new information. It's about allowing what you learn about Jesus to transform your heart and your relationship with him so that we are on our faces and our knees more than we are on our feet when we spend time with him because we're overwhelmed by the glory and the greatness of this king that we serve. This book is intended to make you fall on your face. Lying flat on the floor before the Lord, going, Jesus, you are amazing. Jesus, you are everything. You're at the epicenter of everything. That's what the book of John is all about. And so I'm excited. I hope that you're excited and that there's anticipation brewing in your hearts for what God is going to do. Today, we, 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 we kick off the series. We're looking at five verses. Just five, and in those five verses, John teaches us so much significant stuff about Jesus. It'll be enough to do a whole 20-week series on just these verses, but we're not going to do that. We're just going to do one message on them. So if you, uh, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to the book of John, chapter 1. And uh, the, the message title for today is, The Word is God, Life, and Light. And those are the four points, Word, Life, Light. And the fact that he's God. And we'll look at that now, what I mean by by all of that. So let's read together, and we'll get stuck in. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it in those first five verses john teaches us and wants us to focus on some stuff about jesus that really truly is amazing and the first thing we're going to look at is the fact that john refers to jesus as the word so point 1 is the word and when i first got saved and i read john i was told to read john it confused the living daylight out of me what is the word And I went and I asked a friend who preached the message on it, and he said, just remember, it's not little W-O-R-D, it's capital W-O-R-D. In other words, this is not the word, word. It's not referring to a word you write. It's referring to a person, right? Nouns are written with capital letters. This is a reference for Jesus. John refers to Jesus as the word, And that was great, but I needed to understand why, and it wasn't until later on in my journey with the Lord that I understood why John is referring to Jesus as the Word, and as you begin to understand why, it reveals some stuff about Jesus that you might not have known that causes you to go, wow, this is amazing. See, the Holy Spirit could have used so many different terms. He could have used so many different descriptives. For Jesus, when inspiring these scriptures through John, he could have been in the beginning was the light, or in the beginning was the life, or in the beginning was the number of different things he could have referred to Jesus as, but he chooses to refer to Jesus as the word. And we've got to ask ourselves what is being communicated here by the Spirit through John about Jesus that we need to know. And there's just two things. When John And we'll dig into these a little bit more. When John refers to Jesus as the Word, he's alluding to two things. One, he's alluding to the role that Jesus plays in creation and his centrality when it comes to creation and his power to create. And two, he's referring to the role Jesus plays in revealing God to us. So when John speaks about Jesus being the word what he's trying to get us to see is that Jesus has a very central role in creation and in everything that was created and he also plays a central role in revealing God to us and I'll explain how that all works just now but in other words the word the word the title the word teaches us that Christ is both the source of all creation and is an ambassador from the Godhead into that creation. That's what that title teaches us. So we'll look first at how the word speaks to Christ's creative power and his role in creation. And there's an analogy that I'm going to share with you. Just track with me. It will help you to understand it a little bit more. Every single one of us here has got thoughts. We've had thoughts. We have thoughts. You're having thoughts right now. right? You're processing them. But your thoughts are invisible. They are known only to you. I cannot see your thoughts. I do not know what you are thinking. And no matter who says that it can read your mind, they, they can't. They might know you well and be able to guess maybe what you're thinking based on your body language. But the reality is our thoughts are invisible and they are secret only to us. You have a problem if you want those thoughts to be made known. You've got to embark on a journey. What you've got to do is you've got to translate those thoughts from the invisible realm of your mind, and they are real, just because they're invisible doesn't mean they're not real, into the physical realm. And that journey, that transition requires that you verbalize and you speak a spoken word that best articulates what you're thinking. Once you've done that, once you've taken an invisible thought and you've spoken a word and it comes into the physical realm, it materializes. Your thoughts manifest and people can now see what you were thinking, what creation you were wanting to create by what you've done and what you've said, and they begin to understand who you are A little bit more. So when your words leave your mouth, they come from the invisible realm into the physical, and hopefully they have their desired intent. Likewise, when God in the beginning decided to create, when he proposed to create, and when he embarked on the mission to create the universe and all that it contains, when that moment, that moment arrived to make it all possible, God's thoughts and desires were made manifest and physical through and by Jesus. So in that sense, Jesus is the spoken word of God. He makes manifest the desires and thoughts and will of God. This is what John meant when he says that Jesus is the word. Jesus, as a spoken word of God, makes physical and manifest the inner thoughts and desires of God. Until Jesus took action... None of the created universe existed. Until Jesus took action, there was no physical reality. It was just desires and thoughts that God had. And when God wanted to action it, Jesus took action. When God spoke, in other words, when Jesus took action, creation came into existence. And so in that sense, Jesus is the Word of God. And we'll see just now in a later scripture in Hebrews that Jesus isn't just a source of all creation. And things weren't just made through him and by him. They were made for him. And he sustains all of it. The reason you can breathe this morning is because Jesus holds creation together. The reason why the sun does not consume us and destroy us is because Jesus holds it in place. When God created the sun and the moon and the stars and every celestial being came out of the mouth of Jesus, he created it and he keeps it all together. And if Jesus for a second decided to let go, Everything would disintegrate. We'd be obliterated. We sit here safely this morning because Jesus holds it all together. It's what Paul, it's what John is saying when he says Jesus is the word. Paul confirms this. He writes in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16: For by him, speaking about Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for. Secondly, and very similarly, John refers to Jesus as the Word because of his role in revealing God to us. In the same way that Jesus makes manifest the thoughts and the desires of God and makes them physical, he also is, Jesus is the manifestation of God to us. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 says this, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And this is that scripture I was telling you about in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And then later on in chapter 1 of John, which we won't get to today, verse 14 it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh. So in the same way that your spoken words reveal your thoughts They are physical manifestations of your thoughts and who you are. God's Word says that you may know someone by the words that they speak, because from the overflow of the heart, so the mouth speaks. In the same way, when God desires to create and His thoughts are made manifest so we can see, Jesus does it. In the same way that when God wants to reveal to us who He is, He speaks a word. Jesus is the spoken word of God. He is the manifestation of God. When you see Jesus, you see God. And so John is writing and he says, Jesus is the word because he is the means through which everything that has been created was created. Jesus brings everything from God's heart and mind into and makes it a physical reality. And he's also the one who comes from the Trinity, from the Godhead, into that created reality so that we can know who God is. Without Jesus, we don't know God. I hope that that stirs something in you. And you might have known that, but that should cause us to go, Jesus, you are amazing. We want to speak you everywhere. We want to tell people about you. You are not just a part of the Trinity. You are God. And that's the second point that I wanted to raise this morning. It's what John also wants us to see as he's writing He wants us to see that the Word is not just the Word because of what He does and the role that He plays, but because He is God. Right in the beginning of the Bible, uh, the book of Genesis starts off like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But John begins his gospel with, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word created everything, and through the Word, all things were created. We've already discussed the fact that the Word is Jesus. Scripture doesn't say the Word became God. Scripture doesn't say the Word came to God. The Word, and the important word here is was. The Word was God in the beginning. Therefore, just as in the beginning of creation God was, so the Word was. And John wants us to understand that there's no genealogy that he writes in his gospel account like the other gospels. There's no genealogy of the physical life and the earthly life and the fleshy life of Jesus. He omits the genealogy because there is no genealogy. The reason why there's no genealogy is because it just doesn't exist. Jesus, the word, was, is, and always will be. And we go, that's not really great revelation for us because we're Christians. But church, the world is trying to destroy and undermine the person of Jesus. There are a lot of people even within the church who are struggling with the idea that Jesus is God. Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, there are so many other cults that break away from orthodox genuine Christianity and deviate from the scriptures that will suggest to you that Jesus is a demigod, a created being, once an angel, that we can be like him. And it removes all authority and undermines the character and the nature of who Jesus really is. If Jesus isn't God, we're wasting our time and we need to go home. And John is writing to his readers and he's encouraging them and he's saying, Jesus is not just a mere man. Right? Jesus is not just a mere man. He's not just a good prophet, as Islam would suggest. He is not a created being like Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses would suggest. Jesus is God, has always been and will always be. And that should cause us when we speak his name to speak it with reverence and with fear. Not because he has some malicious intent towards us, but because he is the eternal God. He has no beginning, he has no end. In the beginning the word already existed. And then John says, because he is God, because the word is God, in the word there is life. The Apostle John makes this a stunning statement in verse 4. He says, In the word was life. Right? In the word was life. And when the scriptures say that, when John's saying that, he's not speaking about the physical life we have. What he's speaking about is spiritual life in Jesus. That's what he's saying. In God, in the word, there is spiritual life. It's this beautiful play. On words, because we know, John knows, that when Jesus created, he actually did create physical life. He breathed God's breath into us. The Hebrew word is a ruach of God. He breathed God's breath into us, and so we have life, physical life, and you breathe life into everything else. That's why it lives. Jesus created that, but when John is writing, he says, in the word there is life. He wants you to understand that Jesus did far more than just give you physical life. He gave you spiritual life. In God, in the word, there is eternal life. That's what he wants you to see. That's the most important thing. I remember when, when I came to know the Lord, and my part of my testimony is helping people to understand that God saved me because I was incredibly stubborn through a really bad accident. And it, and it took me almost losing my life to, to come to a place where I gave my life to Jesus. And um, I'd I was in a pl- I'd blown myself up with a chlorine bomb. I don't have enough time to tell you all about that now. If you don't know it, I'm happy to chat with you about it afterwards. But I was on a friend's farm, made some dumb decisions, blew myself up with a chlorine bomb and almost died. And it was in that moment where I cried out to God for the first time in a very real way. And in an instant, Jesus came again and restored to me physical life, but for the first time ever in my physical life, I felt the breath of spiritual renewal, spiritual life, a spiritual rebirth. And it was in that moment that I experienced what John is speaking about here, where Jesus gives physical life, but spiritual life as well. It's not either or, it's both. That's what John wants you to see. Jesus is so amazing that he brings physical and spiritual life, and we need the latter more than anything else. Nothing else on this earth can be considered life-giving or life, spiritual life. Life that Jesus gets or gives cannot be found anywhere else. But we live in a world where people are pursuing life and fulfillment in life in so many other things apart from Jesus. You hear stories about people living life to the full, taking life by the horns, grabbing the bull by the horns, and really sucking the marrow out of life. I want to say this to us, church, to you and to me. And this needs to be a message that we communicate to the world with love and with grace and with truth. That you can grab the bull by the horn, suck the marrow out of life. You can be sucking the marrow out of whatever you want to be sucking it out of. But if you are not pursuing life in Jesus, you are pursuing death and destruction. That is just the reality of it. Anything else apart from Jesus is not life. It's death. To pursue Jesus is to pursue life. To ignore him is to embrace death, spiritual death. We need to rely on him for everything, for everything that we need to sustain us. We need to be screaming it out to the world to to continue the work of Jesus as our church's motto or catchphrase or slogan. To continue the work of Jesus is to go and do what Jesus said. Go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. Why? Because what Jesus has commanded is life, not just physical life, but spiritual life necessary for eternity with him. To use some imagery from the scripture, Jesus is referred to as being a river of living water, a fountain of life, life-giving, like this really pure water in a desert place. And to walk past Jesus, to not share Jesus, to see him and to ignore him is as foolish or even worse then a guy walking in a desert, dying of thirst, needing water, finding a fountain, and walking straight past the fountain, thinking that in a couple of kilometers time, he's going to find something else to help him survive. Right? We wouldn't really think fondly or feel very sorry for somebody like that. Right? There's these things called the Darwin Awards. Right? You heard about them. It's It's not really actually that great, but it's the the awards given to people who hurt themselves in really crazy ways, and some people are unfortunate enough to actually pass on because of really stupid things they've done, right? And they do such stupid things that when they pass on, they get a Darwin Award, and basically guys celebrate them removing themselves from the gene pool, right? Because if someone can do something so dumb, almost like me with the chlorine bomb, and die, it's probably better that you don't pass your genetics on, Right? We would feel the same way about someone in a desert dying of thirst, walking past a fountain, knowing that they need water to drink, and just completely showing contempt for that fountain and that water. It's even worse when someone says to you, you are going to die and spend eternity in hell, but there's a God who loves you and made a way. His name is Jesus. Come and drink from Him. And you look at Him and you go, no, I'm sorry. My finances are better. This is better. That's better. I'm just going to continue and walk by. It's absolute foolishness. And God is saying to us as a church, our role and responsibility is to go into all the world, to preach the gospel, to tell people the good news. And we could just be sitting on a fountain of life and not sharing it. I think what John is trying to say is that for those of you who need Jesus, drink from him now, not tomorrow or the next day. And for those of us who have rivers of living water flowing from us, it's not tomorrow that we should be spouting forth. It's right now. It's every single minute of every single day that we have the opportunity to speak about Jesus. Do it, because in God there's life. In the Word there's life, and we need that. So does the world. And then, and then John shares one last thing in these, last, in, in these first five verses. He, he says the Word is light. When we read the Genesis account, before God created anything, it says that there was darkness. Darkness was over the face of the deep. There was just nothing. And it wasn't until God thought or proposed to create light that light was created. The Word was in the beginning and the Word created light, physical light. And John says that in the Word there is light, but like with life, he wasn't speaking about physical life. He's not speaking about physical light that we can see. What he is saying about Jesus in this verse is that in God there is spiritual awakening and illumination. There is a spiritual understanding that comes from Jesus and Jesus alone. You get people who do yoga and are into Buddhism, into all sorts of weird arts and crafts to help them become spiritually enlightened and to free their minds and all that sort of stuff. And at best, that stuff is demonic. At best, it is demonic. There is no true spiritual enlightenment apart from Jesus. Jesus is the one who brings true spiritual purity Knowledge of spiritual purity and knowledge of true righteousness. Apart from Jesus, we don't know what God wants and doesn't want and likes and doesn't like. We don't know what God is like, what righteousness is. And when God defines purity, you see it in the face of Jesus. Jesus brings spiritual enlightenment and awakening. He's the one who defines why we're here. He's the one who defines what's right and wrong. He's the one who defines why we should and shouldn't do things and why we should um, follow him as opposed to anything and anyone else. Jesus is not just the one who created physical light that we can see in the light spectrum and all that we still don't even understand about it. Jesus is the one John more importantly wants us to understand that gives guidance and direction for our souls. So when John's writing to his readers, he's like, I don't want you to just celebrate the light that you can see. That's amazing. But understand that there's something more that needs to be illuminated in your life, and that's your heart. It's your soul. It's your mind towards spiritual things, and only Jesus can do that. Throughout the scriptures, God is pictured as light. But similarly, the world is described uh, as going through and becoming incredibly dark. The world is living in darkness. Right? Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. He says, He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son, or into the kingdom of light. Jesus later goes on to say in the Gospel of John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You can have people in this room this morning in light, but actually living in utter darkness. What Jesus is saying is, I'm the light that will bring illumination to your spiritual state of being. I will breathe life and light into you. I'll give you spiritual life and I will illuminate your mind to understand things that you once beyond your ability to understand. Listen to our Paul Describes a person's condition without the light of Jesus. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. When you leave something out of the fridge for a long time, it starts to rot. When you're without Jesus, your spiritual state is a state of rot, where Jesus brings life and light. He goes on to say in Ephesians, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of hearts. And then lastly, Paul writing to the Corinthians, he says, in their case, the God of this world, small g, speaking about Satan, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not of ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. I just want to give a bit of an aside because the way Paul ends that last passage is incredibly beautiful and powerful. Paul's writing to the Corinthian church. And in the Corinthian church, there were Greeks, there were Jews, there were Gentiles, there were Romans. It was a very cosmopolitan type church. And so Paul knows he's writing to these guys. And Paul also understands the culture of the people in those churches, in that church. For the Hebrews, the Jewish people, they pursued light as a high ethic. They loved light. There was a festival of light. There's the Feast of Tabernacles, and the Jewish people would light these huge things called candelabras and fill them with oil and burn them bright. It's where that imagery of a city on a hill comes from. You can't hide a city on a hill because there's light. And Hebrew people loved light because they understood that God is light. Light resembles purity and holiness. And so they celebrated light. And for the Greeks, they pursued knowledge. From the Greeks, we have all of our philosophers and our universities and the scrolls and the parchments and all that sort of stuff. Greeks loved knowledge and to study. And so they pursued that as a very high ethic in light. To gain more knowledge is to, you know, transcend your human ability to just be human. And you really grew into something else. And for the Romans, well, the Romans were all about glory. The glory of the Roman Empire. The glory of the Caesars. The glory of a Roman death. You gave yourself up for the glory of Rome. And Paul... Writing to this church, knowing that they were filled with Greeks and Romans and Hebrews, he says, This, hey guys, everything that you think is great, I want you to, I want to tell you this God has shone in the darkness and he has given us light. The light is of the knowledge of the glory of God. And you know where you see that? In the face of Jesus. Everything you spend your life pursuing is insignificant compared to staring and looking into the face of Jesus. When you look into the face of Jesus and you know him, all your desire for knowledge and glory and light disappears because he surpasses it all. It's all wrapped up in him. Right? If you've ever sat in a room reading or watching television right, in the late afternoon, which we sometimes do, you've got your curtains open and you're watching something, you're really fixed on what you're reading or what you're watching, as, as the afternoon gets on, the sun sets and it slowly starts to become darker and darker and your eyes just simply tend to adjust, right? And it gets darker and darker and darker and darker and you don't recognize how dark it's getting. And it often happens with my wife, Mandy. She'll be at home with the kids and we've got a new one and so she's busy and uh, she'll be busy in the kitchen and I'll come home from work and it's dark, right? And all of a sudden i switch the light on and you're like, oh, fantastic, I can see and it's only when the light's on that you realize just how dark it was in the room that you were in because you slowly become desensitized to the darkness. And the light needs to be switched on in order for you to be able to see. And there's, sometimes I'm in the kitchen as well and there's a physical frustration I feel and I don't know why I'm frustrated. It's because I can't see things properly. And then I switch the light on and I'm like, that feels just so much better. This isn't about being a doom prophet and gloomy and sad, but the world that we live in is like that. It is slowly fading away. It's getting darker and darker and darker, and without the light switched on, you're going to become unaware of just how dark it actually is and how much you just can't see. The world thinks it can see, but it cannot. Jesus is the light, and we are responsible for taking that light and switching the light on for others, or at least being a part of doing that. And it's only until people can see that they realize just how much they couldn't. There's that song, I was blind and now I can see. It's not necessarily speaking about a physical blindness. It is speaking about a spiritual awakening and opening of one's eyes. Jesus is the one who turns on the lights and shines bright for people to see where they couldn't before. Church, our role and responsibility is to take this message out into the world and to glorify Jesus. That's why I love that song that we ended off with our session with. Just Jesus in the workplace, Jesus in our homes, Jesus in the valley, Jesus on the mountaintops. You just can't speak enough of Jesus ever. So the world does not understand him, John says. He is God, he's the word, he's light, he's life. The world doesn't understand him, but the world will also not overcome him. And I want to encourage you with this as I end this morning. We've learned some really powerful stuff from these these first five verses. We've, We've seen that Jesus is the word and why that's so, why he's called that, that he's God, that he's life, that he's light. But we can sometimes tend to feel a little bit, I don't know, apologetic as Christians for what we believe in. And somehow we feel like the world's going to have victory, that somehow the darkness is going to win. And when you look at what's happening around the world, it can sometimes feel a bit stifling as if darkness is winning. But light will always triumph over darkness. Jesus has already got the victory. He has already won. He is king enthroned and installed on the throne in heaven already. He's just coming back to finish the job. It's already done. We're on the winning side. And I want to encourage you as a church, as Connect Church, we need to be a church that will speak in the name of Jesus boldly outside of the walls of the church, not just here, for the glory of God so that people will come to know him. Our highest ethic and pursuit in life should be the glory of Jesus. Let's pray together. I'm going to call up the worship team. Lord, as, as as we just meditate on this in the coming week, I pray that you would reveal even more to us, Lord, through the scriptures that we read this morning. And I pray, Lord, that you administer by your Spirit to people in this place who need to come to know you. Just as the worship team come up, if there are people in this auditorium this morning who do not know Jesus and your heart is burning within you and you're being convicted and you're being drawn to a place where you want to do something that maybe you've never done before and that's give your life to Jesus, I would love to pray for you. I just want to ask that at the end of our time together, you come up to the front so we can pray together. If you want to recommit your life to Jesus, I pray that you would do that today and not walk past that fountain of living water. If you're in a place with Jesus where you love him, I pray this would have stirred up even more for you and that you would be passionate about sharing the gospel. So Lord, Holy Spirit, come and do that work in our hearts. As we end off with worship this morning, Lord, may we glorify you. May we adore you for who you are. Amen.